guys, it's so good to be with you this morning. I'm Nisha. Chick. There we go. Thanks, John. Guys, give it up for John. He's amazing. He's constantly, constantly making us as a band sound awesome. So you think we have a really great Sunday morning and it's like half of it is us, but then it's also the other half is John. Because if John doesn't mix it right, you guys won't hear anything. So we're so grateful for you, John. You're such an important part of this team. I am so excited to share with you on the day that all the campers got back from camp. I was so sad to miss it this year. Last year I went with them because I know the power of camp and what gets put into our hearts in those moments of encounter with God. And I shared last week, but camp was really like the initialization of me and Jesus's journey. And so for you campers that came back, I'm so excited to hear in the months to come, like when you look back at camp, you're like, oh, that was the beginning of this journey I went on with Jesus. Like it started this week, but it's gonna keep going. There's gonna be so much more that he does in your lives. And it's perfect timing that we got to hear Autumn's testimony because we're in the middle of parables of Jesus and we're sharing about what was Jesus's heart when he came to the earth. It was to speak about the kingdom of heaven and to invite us into this realm And he did that primarily through story. And so you guys know, Brian's shared, Drew shared, and I'm just so grateful and feel very thankful to get to share on one of my favorite parables, which is the treasure in the field. Before we do that, I wanted to invite us into kind of a moment of prayer and kind of like meditation in Psalms. We talk a lot about meditating on the word, meditating on the Lord. And so if you would with me, would you remember a moment similar to like some of these campers today where you were initiated by God, a moment where joy or his love encountered you. Maybe you remember like a moment that really started your journey with Jesus. What was it that like inspired or pulled you in to the heart of God? You can close your eyes if you want to and just remember like what was that initial thing, that spark of joy, that spark of promise And I want you to live it. I want you to feel it. I want you to put yourself back in those shoes of that moment. Feel all the emotions of it. Where were you? How old were you? What were the sights and sounds and smells? What did the Holy Spirit do? And maybe this was years ago, or maybe this was a few moments ago. But I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that as we just remember these moments where you started us on a journey that in the grand scheme of our journey and in the road when it gets rough, we wouldn't forget where we started. We wouldn't forget why we started. Would you remind us today, Holy Spirit, of that initial joy you set before us? In Jesus' name, amen. Did you guys see it? Could you feel it? For some of you, you might be like, I don't know. I actually just grew up doing this. And I'm so excited for you today because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to meet you profoundly and for it to become a real personal experience of his love. When we're talking about parables, you guys know they're stories. Um, I posted this quote in the newsletter, but 
Jean-Luc Godard says, sometimes reality is too complex. Stories give it form. And I love that because we can all see ourselves in a story. Jesus was brilliant when he came to the earth to share the heart of God, to show us what the kingdom was like, to show us what the father was like. And he put it on display for the common folk. We've been talking about this, right, for a couple weeks now. Some of you that just came today are like, no, I haven't been here. What are we talking about? So we're in the middle of the parables. And Jesus was talking to these common folk in a simple way, making complex truths simple. The Pharisees and religious elite loved to complicate things for people. You guys notice how in religion things get really complicated and there's like all these hoops you have to jump through and all these things you have to check off. Jesus came to completely undo that and be like, actually, I'm going to speak something so simple, you might miss it. So lean in because you might miss it. Story helps us to learn. So he was brilliant by saying, come with me on this journey and visualize. When we listen to a story, it fires different parts of our brain. I love neuroscience. Any other neuroscience nerds? Yeah. So even in preparing for this talk, I was like reading a bunch about the brain. And one thing that I think is so powerful is when we listen to a story, it actually connects our left and right hemispheres because we have the linguistic, chronological, time-oriented side of the brain. And then we have the experiential, emotional, colorful side of the brain. So both of these work in tandem when we're listening to story and we're visualizing. We also can easily put ourselves in someone else's shoes, right? When you hear a character, we all love like movies and books. I mean, if you don't love movies and books, maybe come tell me after this because I've never met anyone who doesn't like movies and books. So it would be a first and I'd give you a high five. (laughs) That's all you're getting is a high five. Sorry. No prizes. Because their stories are amazing. And when we watch movies and read books, we see ourselves, right? We can objectively learn about our own motives and agendas when we see someone else playing it out. And Jesus was so brilliant in how he was like, here, let me show you a parable of your own heart. But if it's removed from you, you might soften enough to hear it, right? It's very different if someone just comes and says, hey, Bailey, you're wearing green. And, you know, you should really do this, blah, 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 blah. Like that, she wouldn't be able to receive that as well. But if I was to share a story, Bailey, you're awesome, by the way. I love you. And you're beautiful. If I was to share a story about something that you could relate to, your empathy center would turn on and you would start to see yourself in that story, right? So all of this is just set up. Story connects us. And also when Jesus was telling story, he was stalling a little bit. We think, you know, historians, theologians, we talk about Jesus needed that time to really prepare the ground for his ministry so that the Jews would receive the kingdom of God before he died. He knew that his view, his ability, he knew that what he was going to share was going to cause an upset, right? And he knew the cross was coming. And so by telling story, it was veiling some of the very provocative messages that he knew the religious would get upset about. So it was also an invitation for those that had hungry hearts to lean in. Like if you're in a, in a talk, in a lecture, watching a video, listening to someone, if your curiosity is piqued, 
your brain will be wired to listen and take in information. If you're not curious, you'll, it'll be very easy to just tune out, right? I've been there so many times. Like I'm in a moment, I'm like, I can't learn anything or I'm not thinking that, but I'm just unaware of my need for learning in that moment. And therefore I'm not receiving anything. You get as much as you want, really. You can receive as much as you want. The kingdom is here now, even in this moment, as much as you want, you can have. So Jesus was even, by storytelling, inviting people's curiosity and hunger to lean in rather than to just give them it perfectly packaged because it's actually, in even moments like this morning when the Holy Spirit's working, more than half of it is our engagement with whatever's being shared or with whatever's happening, right? It's just, it's fruitless if it's not an exchange, if it's not both the speaker and the listener. Communication goes both ways. So that's a little background setup. I want to dive into a story really quick and practice this with you guys. Is that Okay. So we are going to talk about the treasure in the field. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the treacherous hike up to the weird tree on Horseshoe Bend. <laughs> Which some of you are laughing. Some of my friends already know the story. Because recently, Pete, my fiance, and I, and Christian, and yeah, you can, you can hoot for Pete. He's hot. <laughs> Ow! And then other friends of ours, Christian, Anna, and Jared, who are here, um, Trevor, a bunch of other friends. We all went down the Lower Rogue River trip. It's our favorite trip of the year. It's incredible, beautiful, wild and scenic, no cell service, nothing. You're like on the way to the coast. You see bears and wildlife. It's incredible. There's all these cliffs and gulfs. It's, it's so beautiful. I look forward to it every year. So this was a couple weeks ago. We were on the trip and we did this camp out night where we stayed a couple days in the same spot. And every year we stay in this spot and we've started to notice on this ridge. And when I say ridge, it's more like a mountain cliff face. It's, we measured it. It's 3,000 feet high elevation. 3,000 feet up there, there is this ridge line and you can see all the trees in the distance far away. And there's this one tree that we're always like, is that like a cell tower? What is that? It's this weird platform thing. And so we, for years have just been like, what is that tree? I wonder. And then our friend this year said to us, let's go find the tree and let's figure out what it is. We should have slapped him in that moment and walked away. <laughs> I don't want to give it away too fast, but we set off on this journey because, I don't know, Pete and I are adventure addicts and idiots. <laughs> Christian, too, and Jared. <laughs> We're all like, yeah, let's go on this hike. It's going to be awesome. We're going to, like, rest and enjoy our time on the river, hiking all day up this mountain where there's no path. We're making our own path. We don't have proper shoes. So you guys can imagine with me. We're, like, we're going up this this crazy cliff. We cannot find a trail. We're trying to find the animals' trails, you know? But there's, like, shale, like that shattered rock, just, like, falling down and we're like trying to climb up that you know find a foothold and then there's poison oak literally everywhere <laughs> I have it to show you later just kidding I washed it all profusely don't worry about hugging me 
you're not going to get it, I promise. And we're, we're climbing up this. We, the, some of our party is a little faster than us because me, Christian, and Pete are like trying desperately not to get poison oak. So we're like three-fourths of the way up. Me and Pete kind of get separated from other people. And it turns into the Hunger Games. <laughs> not joking. I, and we're on this like hand over foot spot where we're climbing. And there's trees everywhere. There's some poison oak in front of us. And we kind of have to like maneuver around the poison oak, you know, like so carefully. And I start feeling like sharp stabs and like stinging. And I look down and there's a hornet's nest swarming my leg. Yeah. And so I'm like, I just start yelping. <laughs> and I don't know, probably swearing. I don't know what happened. I just went into full on like, we got to go, babe. We got to go now. And he's like, he's like, follow me, follow me, you know. And so we're literally hunger gaming it up this rock, trying to dodge the poison oak, running from the hornets. It's a movie. We somehow get to safety and I'm like almost in tears, so much pain. Pete helps me pull the stingers out. There was like 10 bites and stings. It was so dumb. I think he got stung too on one of his legs. And so anyway, we're at that point, Pete looks at me and he's like, okay, we should go back. Like you're wounded. (laughs) We should really call it. And I'm like the stupid woman that I am. I'm like, no, I'm a sucker for punishment. Let's do this. We're so close to the top. I literally was like, no, we're so close to the victory. Like I didn't get stung by hornets and like climb all the way up here and have blood to not see the top, you know? And it was just this thing in me that was like, I have to see the reward of what this, this has to be worth it. So we kept going. We eventually found our friends. We made it to the top. We had a doctor up there. He like bandaged my leg with like a poultice that he made from moss and mud. It was so cool. And then I'm like, my, my ankle is starting to hang over my shoe. And we find Jared. He, they all share food with us. We have this like happy moment. And we find the tree, guys. <laughs> we find the tree. So we're like, yes. I think it took us like three and a half hours maybe to get there. And we radio down to the camp and they like take a picture of us up there. I mean, they can't see us. They can see the tree, but we're like a shadow somewhere trying to be really huge because we're 3,000 feet up there. And then we're like, we did it. And then we're like, oh, the way back is going to be easier. (laughs) And everybody goes, what was the tree? The tree was literally, it was like a bonsai tree. It just looked like it had been struck by lightning, like the top was cut off. So then it was just like all of the limbs were straight out in a line, so it looked like a platform, but it was just this weird, it was cool. <laughs> so, totally worth it. <laughs> the analogy of the tree is not equal to Jesus or the kingdom, okay? We're not making that correlation. <laughs> so yes, All of you laugh because you know the way back is so hard and downhill. And of course, we decide to go another way back because we're like, the way up was the worst. It can't possibly get worse on this side. (laughs) It was worse, guys. There was so much shale. And then we got stuck in this goalie of poison oak on every side. And it came to the point where we think we were like three and a half hours into the second half. So we were like six and a half hours in. And my legs are like shaking under me. I mean, I work out and I do drop gym, but this was like an all day hand over foot, bear crawl, every part of us. And 
I just remember so many times being like, I'm going to get stuck on this mountain. Like, I'm not, I think I'm done. I think I'm going to stay here and die. <laughs> and like, there's poison oak on every side. We've, and like, we finally decided at the end just to go through the poison oak because the ravine was so steep. If we had tried to climb along it, we could have fallen to our death. Literally. So we, we, we were like, and we're decent climbers, but we were like, no, it's not worth it. So Pete got poison oak in the face. Christian was like grabbing plants. Like, this is cute. And I'm like, that's poison oak. <laughs> Literally, like, I think I yelled at Christian at one point. I was like, come here right now. Leaves of three. You're stressing me out, man. <laughs> All right. So all that to say, the entire time on the way down, there were so many moments I was past my capacity. Like mentally, physically, we were so challenged. It was eight hours in and I'm, we were out of water. We hadn't eaten a real meal. We got up at 5.30 to go on this hike. We never ate like anything really, just power bars and apples at the top. <laughs> and so we're getting down and I, every time we would be like, we can't do it, I would just think to myself like, okay, body, we can do this. And I kept thinking of the horizontal ground. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to lay on the horizontal ground and just be like, oh, I love you land. Never be at an angle again. And I'm going to jump in the river and I'm going to wash all this off. And I just kept thinking, I'm going to tell Anna she made the better choice. She was smart and stayed in her hammock. And we eventually, guys, we made it because obviously I'm standing here today and I'm alive. So... We made it. We survived. Thank you for going on that journey with me, with us. I needed you to relive it because it was so traumatizing. <laughs> this is like group therapy for me. So at the bottom of that, you know, I thought a lot about that hike for weeks because it was such a mental battle. And I felt like the Lord, like the Holy Spirit on the thing was like, I am going to teach you so much this hike if you would let me. And I was like, oh. I hate this. It's so uncomfortable. As I just tell the story, like, could you guys see it? Could you feel it? Were you in it? That's so much, I think, of what Jesus was doing, even as he's pulling us into his stories. And I kept thinking when we got down, like, why the heck did we do that to ourselves? <laughs> why? would we do that? Why do we love suffering so much? And I remembered like, it was this initial joy spark of adventure in us that we were like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be an epic journey. And the tree was awesome, but really it was the connection with friends, loved ones, and the sense of adventure that we were setting out to together. And I think the kingdom is like I mean, Jesus and what he did is like this ultimate risk, right? Where he risked it all on humans and gave us free will. I'm like, wow, that was dumb. <laughs> I look at the earth and I'm like, why did you do that? Why did you give us so much freedom and power? And I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, God's nature is a nature of joy where he creates and sets out with joy in his mind. So I want to read with you the parable of the hidden treasure. If you guys want to turn with me, Matthew 13, 44. We'll have it up on the screen too, but the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls 
And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had, that he had and bought it. So culturally, in this context, Jesus is telling this story. People understand back then there weren't banks. So a lot of times, like, tr- mass amounts of money, people would just bury. And so buried treasure was, like, a real thing. And if you were the landowner, you technically owned whatever was in the land. And so this was a very normal story of, like, a worker finding this in a field that he worked in and then going, this is worth my whole every. This is worth more than anything I've ever owned than anything I have currently. So I will go and sell it and I'll find a way to get this field. I think a powerful part as I was reading about the context of this, a part that stuck out to me, even as we go deeper into the second part of the parable about the pearl, why would a merchant who deals with pearls every day sell everything just for one of them? The most valuable one, right? And I read this, the pearl merchant isn't giving away his possessions for no reason. In fact, he's drastically increasing his wealth. The idea of selling all he has might seem radical, but it makes perfect sense given what he gains in return. Jesus taught in an earlier chapter, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 39. This and that previous parable about the field drive the point home to experience the kingdom of heaven is worth the cost of everything. And typically in Christianity, at least for me growing up and hearing and studying the scripture, like we talk about the cost. We talk about giving it all to God, right? We talk about surrender, about laying our life down. We talk about our part of like, go sell everything, give it to the Lord, follow Jesus. But I wanna like today rewind just like, And stay in that first part, which is about what we gain. Because why would we give everything up if we didn't know what we were gaining was far more exquisite? There'd be no point. But as in religion, we do this thing where we're like, well, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to want this. It's supposed to be good. I'm supposed to want peace. I'm supposed to want forgiveness. I'm supposed to want generosity. It's backwards. We have to be enraptured by the beauty of God and his joyful invitation of us. And then that inspires us to go, that's so much better than anything I'm doing down here. I would much rather learn that, (laughs) right? And when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about salvation, heaven or hell. Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven, which he was describing was a reality that we were all invited into. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that? And in Matthew 3, 2 in the Amplified, it says, repent or change your old way of thinking. Seek God's purpose for your life. That was one interpretation of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me read this passage one more time and tell me if you hear the inception of surrender. Like, why would we give it all away? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and, brought that, and bought that field. 
Did you guys catch what caused him to do that? It was the joy. Hebrews 12, 2 through, two through 3 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the joy that Jesus endured the craziest suffering. In preparing for this, I kept hearing the phrase, don't neglect the things that you did at first. And I felt like God reminding me of the things that initially sparked that joy of relationship, that joy of coming into the kingdom, of the revelation of I am a daughter of God. I have access to everything in heaven. And the kingdom is now. I'm not like waiting to die to go experience heaven. I can have it right now. But it's invisible. It's unseen. And I, I remember like being 18 and that clicking in my spirit and like waking up and the blue of the sky was so much more blue and the trees were green and the birds, like I was hearing everything. And I was like, life is so magical. Like everything is magic when you realize the kingdom we've been given. It can all be a chore or it can all be magic. We started out with a reason that we surrendered or gave our lives to Jesus, right? For me, it was that breathtaking reality of the love of God that is so encompassing. And I believe like if you have never had that, I believe he has that for you even today, even as we have a ministry time in a little bit. I just believe the Lord wants to meet us. It's why I had you remember a moment that started out your journey with Jesus. Like what was it? What was that? conception we've all made sacrifices to get to a goal before right like if you're training for a marathon or maybe you're like trying to lose weight for a vacation shaming ourselves and being mad at ourselves doesn't really work very well I don't know if you've noticed that anyone who's ever dieted but if you start being like really hard on yourself you just like want to spiral and eat <laughs> or whatever and maybe is that just me <laughs> right? It's real. But I think it's actually brain science that if we're motivated by joy, our neural pathways are much stronger and much more resilient to obstacles that come against it. So if we've made a goal, if we're making a goal out of joy, our brain's capacity to push through so much greater than if we are doing it out of should or ought or shame. Jesus is describing this kingdom as something that's not obviously seen. It's as hidden as a treasure in a field. It's as tiny as a pearl that's worth more than your whole grandparents' inheritance. It's a reality, a way of viewing life and seeing life so differently than the way that we naturally do that it turns everything upside down. And what, so what is the kingdom? How do we take hold of it? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so rude. Ryan's going to actually share on the kingdom, I think, sometime this year. We're, sure, now he is. I just forced him to. <laughs> sorry, Ryan. We've talked, we're talking about the kingdom as a church, as a whole, but I'm going to dive into it a little bit. What is the kingdom? Let's read Romans 14 together, okay? Romans 14, 16 through 20. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is an internal reality, not an external belief or modality. The kingdom, another way of saying this, is the kingdom is a heart set. It's not just a mindset. We can, like, fight with our minds all day long, but our hearts or our souls, like the internal motivator of our engine, that place. It's hard to describe. Jesus was trying through these parables to say, it's not really about what you look like, what's physically happening to you, your circumstances. You could be the poorest person in the most suffering situation, and you could live in the kingdom. Like, that's the best invitation. That's the best news ever because it's not about physical circumstances, right? What initializes radical heart sets and lifestyles of love in us, I believe, is when we come from that place of joy, the joy of the kingdom of God that we get to be in. And you can have this mindset. We say this sometimes. It's either happening to you or it's happening for you. So it's, you know, the kingdom is an offensive mindset. It's a strong, powerful mindset. The opposite is a victim, right? Everything's happening to me. I'm, the circumstances are just here. I can't change anything. I have no power. Have you guys ever felt that, like, when you woken up in the morning and just kind of, like, whined internally? <laughs> oh, I have to go to work. My life is hard. Or something could be really intense that you're walking through, like, truly and it's so easy. I know in my life, the Lord is convicting me. I'm, I'm not sharing this out of anything that is not real for me. This is my life right now as the Lord going, Nisha, everything is your, is your heart set. Everything is how you look at it with me. You can enter my kingdom in this moment that's super hard, in this place that feels like betrayal, in this place that feels like injustice. You can enter my kingdom. And I'm telling you, the difference of the days, the days when I actually believe that and the days when I'm like, no, I'm just a peon and this is all happening to me. Like what comes out of my life is ugly. And what comes out of my life usually is like hurtful to the people closest to me. Or it's, it's just diminished. It's dull. It's dim. I think the kingdom feels scarier to us sometimes than the mundane of behavioral management because it's new and because it's this invisible intangible that we have to choose inside. It's not something physical that we can be externally motivated by. It's an internal motivation. The kingdom is inward and we'd rather have behavior management because we can check it off and we can say, I did this, 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 and this, right? And it feels linear. It feels clear. It feels concrete. The kingdom is intangible, and yet it is here. It is at hand. I think we have to be possessed by something so much greater than our current reality in order to endure the roads that we're all walking. Like every single one of us in this room has weighty things that we're walking through. And you might be like, oh, not me. I'm like, that's great. I know at some point in your life you will. We all have things we're walking through where we're like, God, I don't know about this. 
there's a reality of the kingdom of heaven that is available to you in that place. A road of fruitfulness also means a road of endurance. To endure, we must have vision. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, with no vision, the people perish. I believe that the place, the, the inward place with the Holy Spirit, where he's speaking to us, his mindset, his nature, he's constantly refining our vision for life. He's giving us vision for the hard things that we're in. We can't do it without him. But only you can cultivate this kind of vision with Jesus. It's free and available. And sometimes those things are the worst because we don't notice them and we're like not taking hold of them. We almost take them for granted. And so I just felt so much in my spirit today to just remind us, like, are we taking hold of what we have access to? That's what the Lord's asking me constantly right now. He's like, take hold of what you have access to. You have joy. You have peace. You have connection with me, righteousness. I love this in Romans. Paul says, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's like a long run on sentence, but it is basically showing us like we can endure anything with the joy set before us and let us take heart because our king, our master was able to access something that kept him through all those, all of the suffering. He's the originator of our faith. Like we heard in like testimonies from Autumn of kids this week, he's sparking moments for us all the time of connection, of joy. And I want to read a few things that I think are part of describing the kingdom. They're not the kingdom in, in its whole, but they're my experience of when I actually have access, when I have access to the kingdom of heaven, what life feels like. We have, knowing I have the help of heaven, knowing I have full access to joy every day, Joy is not like circumstantial. It's literally inside. I believe I'm living in a kingdom of plenty. So not a scarcity mindset. I can have an abundance mindset. I have an internal dialogue of it's going to work out. I have the best life. Even if there's suffering or pain going on. I'm like, wow, that convicts me. Can I actually say that? There's gratitude, security, peace love pouring out of me. And what's the natural outflow of that place of peace and joy? Like, can you guys think of like when you're really operating in that place of gratitude, joy, what comes out of you? It's forgiveness, grace, generosity, hospitality, kindness, mercy, true justice. They're just natural fruits. You're not having to go try to quickly plant them and make them grow really fast and pick them. <laughs> They're just naturally coming out of your life. But I believe that's what the kingdom is meant to be. So let's go back to that 
scripture that says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness or right standing with God. You could also define it as a belonging to and a union with God, a oneness with God that witnesses to our spirit so deeply that we're his child, that we are a co-heir with him, reigning with Jesus on the earth. So it's our right standing, our place, our belonging to God. Then righteousness, peace, peace, the demolishment of chaos. Wouldn't you love to see demolishment of chaos in your life? (laughs) In like every area where there's worry and concern and fear. I want that. I am fighting for that right now too. Peace is that demolishment of chaos, the rest, joy. So what is joy? And I asked uh, my friend Kate Bruce if I could share this. I was doing some research reading Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. She's a researcher, psychologist, brilliant, and so many studies on people, on humans, vulnerability, shame. She studies people for a living. She has so much insight. And I was looking through her quotes, and then what was so cool is Kate Bruce actually posted the very quote I was going to use. And I was like, Kate, can I just quote you? She was like, yeah. So it's so cool. When Sometimes when you're like really connected with a friend, you just, you're all in each other's orbit and the Lord's showing you all the same things, right? I thought that was so cool. So I'm just going to read this from her post. As usual, reading Brene Brown on happiness and joy, and it has my jaw on the floor. And this is the quote from Brene. After these differences emerged from my data, I looked around to see what others had written about joy and happiness. Interestingly, the explanation that seemed best describes my feelings was from a theologian. Ann Robertson, she's a pastor, writer, executive director of Massachusetts Bible Society, explains that the Greek origin of the word happiness and joy hold important meaning for us today. She explains that the Greek word for happiness is makarios, which was used to describe freedom of the rich from normal cares and worries, or to describe a person who received some form of good fortune, such as money or wealth. So just luck, something good happened. Robertson compares this to the Greek word for joy, which is Cairo. Cairo was described by the ancient Greeks as the culmination of being and the good mood of the soul. Robertson writes, Cairo is something the ancient Greeks tell us that is found only in, the, in God and comes with virtue and wisdom. It isn't a beginner's virtue. It comes at the culmination, as the culmination. They say for joy, its opposite is not sadness, but fear. So let's think about that for a minute. If joy is the opposite of fear, think about the things where you're fearful. Think about fear is the base of all anxiety, right? It's the root of all anxiety. It's the root of worry. It's the root of OCD. It's the root of so many things where we are like fixated or afraid or nervous or we pinch, we get tight, we get smaller. Fear is always at the root of that. What happens when we're in joy? I know for me, we throw off fear. Yeah, let's hike to the top of that cliff. (laughs) And then obviously wisdom comes in too and is like, well, (laughs) wisdom is different than fear though. Wisdom has a very different voice than fear. It feels very different in your body and your spirit. (laughs) 
What happens when we live in joy? We are able to throw off fear in so many areas of our life. So I want you guys to start thinking about that. Like, where do you have worry? Maybe you just need a joy upgrade. Instead of like, I'm trying to stop worrying. I'm trying to stop being anxious. I don't know about you guys, but um, if you've ever snowboarded or mountain biked, you know that, yeah, right? You know that wherever you look is where you go, right? I've given this analogy many times, but it's just so good because it's so real. I was trying to snowboard this year, learning, and I kept eating it over and over and over. And then my good friend Thomas is a great teacher, and he came over and he's like, so you need to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. I'm like, that's the most basic thing for all sports, right? Everybody knows. But the reminder of like, you got to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. So fear robs us and we fixate on like, I'm afraid this will happen, so I will focus on it to keep it from happening. It's the opposite. The kingdom of heaven is upside down. You focus on joy and your spirit expands in that reality of Jesus and his enoughness and his bigness and in joy. Actually, worry just kind of goes away. And you find yourself filled with joy rather than filled with worry. But it's a process. It's displacement theory. You can, I should have done this. I know we've done this before. But if I put some sand in this cup, I could try to pull all the pieces of sand out of the water, right? One by one. That's behavioral management. Or I could just take clean water or a hose and pour it into that sucker. And what would happen? It's displaced. And this would be clean pure water. That is what joy is in our life. That is the kingdom of heaven reality we can access at all times. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And as we close today, we're just going to have a time of response. I want you to start thinking in your mind, guys, Where are there places that I have been ripped off with worry or fear or discouragement where I'm looking at this road I'm on and the beautiful spark that set me out on this journey to begin with, I've lost connection to that spark. And maybe something feels dull. Maybe something has lost its glimmer. I know for me, just in like life, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I go to church and I'm on a team and I have to like slap myself and be like, I get to do this. This is amazing. And come back to the reality of the joy of the invitation. I mentioned a few weeks ago this word about harvest time. And the Lord's been bringing it up a lot for me. Sometimes we're living in our journey, in our road, in our climb up the mountain. We're learning to manage more than we ever have because we're, our prayers are being answered. So God's giving us the answer to our prayers. We're like, I have children now, right? You have a baby. And then you're like, oh my Lord, this is so hard. And I'm not speaking from experience. So moms, thank you for your grace on that. But there, I have so much deep honor and respect for my friends who are young parents because they're up through the night and they're exhausted. And it's like not glamorous, but the joy of having children and the like long-term beauty of that, right? Or a marriage, or a business, or a creative venture, whatever that thing is, it's like sometimes we lose in the process of it the actual point. We miss the experience of it. 
And so I just feel the Holy Spirit inviting us back to remember, like, be in it now with me. Enjoy the joy of it now. If you've ever been in a harvest, I worked in a vineyard for years. Summertime, when everything is popping full of fruit, it is the busiest time. You have to manage so much. Everything is trying to eat your fruit, every animal, every pest. You have to be spraying stuff, trimming stuff, cutting stuff, putting up fences. It's the busiest time. And I think sometimes we get exhausted in the doing because we're actually living, we're about to live a harvest. But we are just so focused on what we have to do to maintain it rather than receiving the gift of the joy. It's literally, you can look at it either way. And I know for me, the mornings when I'm like, oh, this is actually a joy. This is a gift, God. Thank you for this. Then my work becomes fun and it doesn't become heavy anymore. And so Kira and the team is just going to lead us in a time of response. And there's communion all around the room. Um, And I want you guys just to take a moment to reconnect with joy. That word enjoy, E-N. Yeah! Good job. You're already doing it. (laughs) Enjoy, E-N, the French Latin root, N, means to get into. So when we enjoy, we are literally getting into joy. When we let God enjoy us, his joy is getting into us. Focus on what you want to produce. If you're struggling with fear today, ask him in that place of fear, what's the joy that I can be focusing on instead? We are invited into, as believers into this epic journey. And we forget sometimes that it will take all of us at every moment. But we have this promise to access this kingdom that is beyond our own resources. You, if you're tired, it's okay. There's rest available. If you're poor, it's okay. There's riches available. If you're hungry, it's okay. There's food available. There's more than enough. We have access to the spirit of God to joy himself. And I heard this, that the kingdom of heaven is him. It is his internal atmosphere that he wants to give you. The father's internal atmosphere. So Jesus, I just pray right now over every heart in this room that we would again remember what set us out on this journey in the first place and that you'd re-spark that first love in us. And if we've gotten dull or dim or weary, that today you would erupt joy in our hearts, joy to access your presence, your peace, your closeness, your plenty, Lord. I pray that we would learn to enjoy you to be enjoyed by you, to be filled. And I just ask, Lord, if there's any areas of fear in our life, that we would look at it and let you dismantle it with joy. 
and just give us a practical, like instead of focusing on the fact that my bank account is struggling, I'm going to focus on this thing that you've given me, God, and I'm just going to celebrate gratitude over it and see your internal atmosphere totally shift. Both are true. Your bank account's true and the joy is true. It's just you getting to focus and choose, right? There's a kingdom right here so close. It's at hand. It's available to us. Let's take a hold of it in a new way today. Maybe there's a part of us that hasn't accessed this specific part of the kingdom. Let's ask him, Lord, what part of this kingdom of joy, of, of peace, of righteousness are you giving me today? What can I access? Where do you want to give joy instead of fear? <laughs>